With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's Ryan Marine and Dan Lloyd. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast in Indianapolis. I'm Ryan Marine. We've got Dan Lloyd joining us on the program this week. How are you doing, Dan? Very well, thank you, Ryan. Great. Well, we will be discussing plenty of news from the world of sports car racing on the show this week. It was a busy one with the uh, early Le Mans entry list released uh, just, uh, well, yesterday, I believe it was, as we're recording this now. So plenty to dive into as far as that's concerned, plus some other news from the sports car racing world. We've got an interview with Josh Tully, who represents uh, Purple Monkey Garage and Kavana Rum, two partners of the SRO America and their various championships. And we've got a lot to talk to him about as far as that's concerned, including the new Kavana Cup, which offers a half a million dollars in prize money to the various competitors in those series. So I will be talking to Josh a little bit later on the show, plus your listener questions to wrap things up on the program this week. But uh, let's dive into the news here first. And Dan, you were the one manning the uh, the email, I suppose, as all the news came in from the ACO about the upcoming 24 hours of Le Mans. We've had our first glimpse at the early entry list. 42 cars now. We know more are coming. March 1st is the date we're expecting the final version of the entry list. What did you see? What did we learn? Starting in LMP1 from the provisional entry list that we saw uh, released earlier in the week. Well, a few surprises, I would say, in general in the in the entry list, especially in LMP1. Uh, we had 42 cars confirmed. I think that really, that was the one of the big surprises of it, as uh, we, we were expecting slightly more. But uh, nonetheless, we do have a, a clear idea of some of the of the bulk of the grid that's going to be taking part in the 87th edition of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Uh, LMP1, as you said, we've got eight cars confirmed so far, and that's pretty much what we would be expecting. These are the cars that have been been there for the bulk of the 2018-19 super season so far. Um, by Collars Racing's number four, uh, Enso CLM P101 Nismo is on there. Uh, that car will be missing Sebring, although um, as far as we're aware, where the Sebring, uh, the fact is missing Sebring is more of a, an anomaly for that race than than a, an aspect of the whole program um, going awry. So it, I, I'm, I'm aware that these eight entries that we have in LMP1 are, are a solid base. Whether or not we'll see any more remains to be seen. We do know Janetta has been has been eyeing some some partners to get its uh, pair of now Mechachrome engine cars, LMP1 cars, back out on track. They weren't in this preliminary release. Uh, We've still got 18 slots in reality, 14 slots to fill um, for uh, quote-unquote guest entry. So uh, it's it's looking like the maximum we could see in LMP1 is is around sort of the 8-9 mark if we do get any more. But uh, no no big surprises in, in the top class. How about from the GT ranks? I think the thing that stands out there is the first appearance of a customer for GT, which will be in the hands of... Ben Keating, who brings uh, one of the the IMSA automatic qualifications for the race to the table there. Pretty exciting news to see a 4GT running in customer hands and for Ben to be the one behind the wheel. Of course, he's got a couple of co-drivers, but uh, this is something he's been eyeing for some time. Oh, it's usually exciting, yeah. And and if there's anyone who's going to really uh, make the leap and run one of these 4GTs in the GTM category, 
as a privately entered car, it's it's Ben Keating. I mean, this will be his fifth Le Mans and his fifth Le Mans in a different type of car. So uh, in my in my eyes, he's he's the ideal person to go forward with it. But um, yeah, he's he's using his automatic invitation that he gained through winning the uh, Bob Aiken Award. Um, in, in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship last season. So he'll be in there with Jerome Bleekemolen and Philippe Fraga, who he drove with in the Rolex 24 last month, and they did very well in their Mercedes AMG. So, uh, yeah, really exciting entry. That That is a car that's uh, got good potential because the car knows 24 hours of Le Mans and the team that Ben uh, told Sports Car 365 yesterday that, that he'd be, that would be helping to run the car. There'll be a consortium of personnel from... Riley from Chip Ganassi Racing, Multimatic, and Ford Performance. So there are plenty of brains on board of that wagon and pre- plenty, I presume, Le Mans winners from when uh, Ford won the class a couple of years ago. So um, it's it's really exciting. Ben's got an affinity with the brand. His his grandfather, I believe, was a, was a Ford dealer and his his father as well. So uh, and, and in fact, Ben himself has, has a couple of dealerships. So yeah, that, that's a fantastic way of, of uh, marking oneself out in the GTM class, which, to be fair, in recent years has has um, lacked variety in, in some respects. We, we see a lot of Porsches and Ferraris, so it'll be great to see Ford knocking about in another category. Yeah, totally agree. Great to see just a, a little bit of a different manufacturer representation in that class. How about the, the rest of the GTE classes? Uh, anything else from the AM class or, or perhaps from the Pro class that stands out, or is it kind of uh, more of the same in what we expected to see? Uh, it's it's roughly what we expected. I mean, we have the the full haul of of uh, full season WEC cars, as we said, and and we've got the automatic invitations from the European Le Mans series, a couple from IMSA. Um, so in terms of the teams entering, we knew all of these teams would be here really to start with. But the, the, what interests me is who's going to be driving some of the cars, or rather who hasn't been listed to drive some of the cars. Uh, BMW Team M-Tech is an interesting one. They've only named two drivers across their two cars. Uh, all of the other GTE Pro teams, the, the, five other, the four other manufacturers, have named at least two drivers, i.e. their full season pairings. Uh, so Nicky Katzberg will be in the 81 as expected, and Augusto Faust will be in the 82 as expected. But beyond that, we don't know who's going to be in the BMW cars. And uh, I guess the mysterious thing about that is that BMW has such a wealth of uh, driving talent in its GT, DTM factory lineups that you know it could really be anyone in those cars. So uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing some, some announcements on who's going to be driving uh, some of the cars in GT Pro. And to close out, looking at LMP2, this isn't necessarily news because it's been trending towards being an all-Orica class for some time, but only two non-Oricas on the entry list as it stands right now, one Dallara and one Ligier. Uh, really would like to see a bit more diversity there, but nevertheless, this is a, a widely subscribed to class which has put on some good racing over the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, LMP2 always produces, it seems to always produce excellent competition. Um, yes, it's a shame that we don't necessarily have the uh, diversity in the grid straight away, but some of the 14 guest entries that we're going to see confirmed later on will probably be LMP2 cars from the European Le Mans series and teams that do run things other than the Orica. Uh, and there are also two bursts from the Asian Le Mans series, which has teams that largely run Ligier machinery anyway. So... 
this isn't going to be the the final lay of the land in LMP2, but it's quite clear to see that Orica is the car that people want to want to have in order to try and win this race. I mean, you can't really blame them, seeing as you've got to go all the way back to 2014 when when Jota Sport won in in an open top Zytec. Uh, that that was the last car that that won that was not based on an Orica uh, shell. So, yeah, it, it it certainly that certainly seems the way it's going, but. That that means that we're probably likely to see some ultra close competition up the front if we've got so many uh, so many of these competitive 07 cars up there. Some other news that that came out from some of these announcements from the ACO. We have a Grand Marshal named, but uh, before we get to that, some new safety car procedures. And this stand definitely stems from what we saw in the race last year, where the safety car regulations gave the eventual race winning uh, GTE Pro Porsche. Uh, a, a real advantage in in the race that uh, they were able to nurse basically to the end. The series has taken a look at this. The competitors have weighed in on it. And as a result, we do have different procedures coming for the race in 2019. Yeah, it's, it's, I'd say it's sort of more of a change of approach than a change of procedure. Um, it, this was actually communicated at the very bottom of the provisional Le Mans entry list that we just discussed and essentially um, what what the ACO are going to try and do is avoid having safety cars uh, where they don't necessarily need safety cars if that if that makes sense it, it's, it's more of a case of yeah trying to uh, eliminate the option for for or trying to eliminate the opportunity um, for teams to get a quite frankly, ridiculous level of advantage. I mean, the, the Porsche, it could have been any manufacturer last year that did it, but it happened to be the, the pink pig Porsche that won, um, benefiting from pitting just before a safety car. But that, you know, that would give you an advantage in any race. But the fact at Le Mans is that we have three different safety cars due to the exceptional length of the track. It's twice the length of any other WEC, uh, WEC course. And so they were able to get out in one safety car group and the rest of the field, which pretty much all pitted under the safety car, they came out under the second safety car behind it. So they, they essentially lost something like a minute and a half um, just by virtue of that regulation that we have three safety cars at the month. So what I think what the ACO is trying to do here is have more full course yellows if, if, if they need to bring out an intervention, have more of these be full course yellows than safety car, um, especially early in the race where, where I mean, last year we sort of had 19, 20 hours of fairly um, mandated running where the Porsche was just in a league of its own. Um, obviously, it was a great performance from the Porsche, but it, it was greatly helped by this advantage. And after the race, we sort of scoured the paddock a bit and a few people, and I noticed, I think, uh, Doug Fee from Corvette was particularly vocal on on the fact that that really did change the outcome of the race uh, and nobody else was able to compete for the win as a result um, and a few drivers as well so it, it's good that the ACO has, has listened to the teams and taken this sort of course of action um, and hopefully that will mean we get to see more of the close on track battles that we were able to see we only saw very briefly in last year's race um by keeping the cars in the same groups when they do need to have a safety car so um yeah just a little tweak but it was an interesting way of sort of rounding off what happened last year and, and hoping for a more more competitive uh, effort in 2019 
For more on that story, you can check out uh, our story at sportscard365.com. Also, to wrap up our Lamar discussion, I mentioned it a moment ago, but we do have a grand marshal for the upcoming event. It is legendary American Porsche driver Hurley Haywood. Yeah, it's great to see Hurley Haywood doing the rounds, really, at the big 24-hour races. He was at the Rolex 24 at Daytona last month with uh, uh his with the famous Brumos Porsche liveries that, that he campaigned on the uh, 911 RSRs there. Uh, yeah, so he's going to be the Le Mans Grand Marshal. 14 Le Mans appearances. That, that's a, a fantastic number. And, and he's he spanned uh, several decades of racing at the French Classics. So uh, three overall wins, 1977, 1983 and 1994. So uh, a 23-year gap between his first and last victories. Hurley Hayward truly is... Uh, a legend of the Le Mans scene and, and it's going to be great to see him there uh, soaking up the atmosphere and uh, telling some great stories about his times at the race, no doubt. Looking forward to that for sure. Let's move away from the 24 hours of Le Mans, some other news that came out. We've been waiting for some more detail and direction from the SRO concerning its uh, new for 2019 GT2 platform and we now know when GT2 will make its race debut, Dan, with a, a race scheduled for Porsche's new GT2 Challenger during the 24 hours of Spa weekend. That's very true, yes. We we saw the Porsche 911 GT2 RS Club Sport make its track debut um, with no, none other than Mark Webber behind the wheel at Bathurst um, early, earlier this month. Um, the first race, though, has now been confirmed. That will take place in Spa 24 Hours weekend, so we can safely assume it's a support race to the 24 hours. Um, it's going to be a single make race for, for the 911 GT2 RS. Um, what's this a reflection of? It, it's hard to say. I mean, the, the SRO release that we we were able to see um, was confident that it would be a full grid of the cars and it would act as a prelude to the full rollout of the GT2 class, um, presumably later later this year. Um, it, yes, it's a disappointment that we don't have other manufacturers involved, um, but I think SRO is looking at this as a long-term project. Uh, Stefan Rattel, when it was uh, when when the concept was first released, he sort of said that they want five or six manufacturers within the next two years, and really to to launch a formula, the formula was itself was launched at last year's Spa 24. So to have um, multiple manufacturers racing 12, just 12 months later with the brand new cars is is quite a tall order. So um, to me, it's good that we can just have a race with the GT2 formula, albeit with one car, and to see what kind of, you know, what kind of lap times these cars are offering, the kind of competition they'll, they'll, they'll have with each other. Um, and it, it's certainly a bed for it to grow. So, but, you know, it, it will be disappointing to not see other manufacturers there. Others have expressed interest, um, but it, it'll be great exposure for Porsche either way. Yeah, that's a good point. And a big crowd to, to debut this car in front of. I, I echo your sentiments. You'd like to see more of these GT2 cars, more manufacturers committing even. that That's really more than just having the cars um, in, in the race here for this first race. Having one is a bit of a disappointment, but just the lack of, of really any knowledge about what is coming next from other manufacturers. There are plenty that have expressed interest, but actually pulling the plug and, and saying, yes, we're going to do this, it's been limited to Porsche at this time. I do think the SRO, though, you look at their track record and the way that they go about things, they're, they're willing to accept 
a, a disappointing year early on if it lays the groundwork for something bigger. I think this has been true for several of their championships or some of the events. I think the California Eight Hours is an example, or even Intercontinental GT Challenge in general to some degree, and you look how that's grown. So I think uh, approaching this with a certain amount of patience is probably the right way to, to go about it. Uh, Stefan, admittedly, put himself in a position where uh, he was clearly expecting results in quickly when he was saying that they, they hope to have uh, that many manufacturers in such a short amount of time. Nevertheless, there's still time for that to happen. We'll see how things go. I think still, too, a lot of people are waiting to see how this GT2 format really fits into the rest of the SRO umbrella. That's the thing I'm most curious to see. This is targeted for the AM driver, the gentleman driver, and uh, I, I'm I'm interested to see just how this fits in and, and uh, with all the other different platforms that the SRO has under its umbrella. I mean, w- what do you think, Dan? Where where does this fit in? Does it fill the void? It, it's it's hard to define, really. Um, it, it, with with the, the nascent nature of this formula, it's obviously still in the still in the early stages. And but I have seen sort of browsing Twitter comments and Facebook comments and, and all the rest that um, people are sort of asking, you know, how does this differ from GT3? Where, where does it, where does it fit into the sports car racing landscape? I mean, the, the car itself looks really aggressive. It, it looks like uh, it almost looks like a GT3 car, to be honest, um, or a mix between a GT3 and cup car. So it's, it's, I think for the, for the casual fan, it's quite hard to see where GT2 um, places itself and, and what kind of market there is and and it's 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 a really it's a tough one to define and I sort of struggle to find the words to, to be able to define what it is other than what you said it's for um, amateur drivers to be able to uh, uh, compete compete in a different type of category um, yeah I think we get it's best to take a wait and see approach for this other manufacturers hopefully we'll see what the Porsche race does. Um, it, presumably it will be a good race and, and that will sort of spring, spring customers into action a bit. As I say, if you, if you want to launch a, a category like this, um, I'm really stoked some interest. The best place to do it is to do it in front of uh, thousands of fans at, at Spa-Francorchamps. So um, yeah, it, it's a patient approach we need to take with this one, I think. All right. Finally, for this week in the news, we've got Nissan laying out its racing plans for 2019. What did you take from the announcement, I guess? And and more importantly, what was the announcement, Dan? Basically a shuffle, a big shuffle of the uh, Super GT driver lineups. Nissan is going to return with four cars. That's that's staying constant from 2018 but we've got some quite interesting driver movements going on there i think the most notable one for our european sports car fan base will be uh fred makovicki who is who's basically won all of the the big endurance races and he's he's now coming back to super gt for his first full season program since uh, 2013 He, he did race a few races in 2014 as well actually with reigning champion naoki yamamoto um Makoviki seems to really enjoy racing in Japan and he seems to be very happy to be back uh, in the frame. Uh, he's he's also, uh, he's one of the new drivers coming in. Another one is uh, former Lexus driver, James Rossiter. That was quite an interesting signing actually because uh, Rossiter has been with Lexus for a while. In fact, that's the only mark I believe he's represented in Super GT and now he's going to be uh, racing in the Nissan uh, Nissan lineup. Um Makovicki will be in the number three Nissan GTR. These are all GT500 cars, by the way, in the top class. Um, with Kohei Harati, uh, 
Rossiter's been paired with Daiki Sasaki, both excellent Japanese drivers, and we should be able to see um, some some great performances from those guys. Um, um, Harati is actually a former champion himself and a former Lexus racer. Um, so, yeah, plenty of manufacturer movement in the market there. And um, we, we've also seen uh, some movements within the Nissan sphere. We've we've had a lot of a lot of drivers leaving, high-profile drivers leaving Nissan over the winter. We had uh, Lucas Ordonez, Alex Buncombe and João Paulo de Oliveira all leaving the Nissan program. And that sort of created some shuffling within the Super GT uh, and its GT3 lineups. Um, so Jan Mardenbris is moving from Team Impul to Condo Racing. Uh, so he's effectively filling the void left by De Oliveira. Um, and Rossiter is taking up Mardenbris' old seat in the Team Impul car. I think it's best if you read the, just read the Sports Car 365 story because there are a lot of movements there and a lot to get your head around. But yeah, Nissan certainly um, continuing to, to form a strong program in, in the manufacturer-laden GT500 class. Awesome. So for more on those stories and the rest of the news from sports car racing from the past week, check out sportscar365.com. We'll take a break here and on the other side, an interview with Josh Tully about his new involvement with SRO America as a part of the Purple Monkey Garage and Kavana Rum groups that have announced partnerships with the series. We'll talk a lot more about those when we return on Double Stints. Hi, I'm Andy Prio, and you're listening to the Sports Car 365's Double Stink Podcast. Back on the Double Stint Podcast, pleased to be joined now by Josh Tully, who is with Purple Monkey Garage and also Kavana Rum, two recently announced partners for SRO America. First of all, Josh, thanks so much for coming on the program here this week. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, let's start with the basics here. What is your background? What uh, led you to begin this involvement with SRO America and sports car racing here in North America? Uh, Well, I've been in business for 23 years now. Uh, Purple Monkey Garage has been around a while. And I've also been a a talk show host now for eight years uh, this July. And recently, we were expanding Purple Monkey Garage just due to demand, and one of the partners that we brought on board was from the race industry. And I've I've been a race fan for a while, but he kind of gave me that behind-the-closed-door look. And we found that in sports car racing, so many of the teams and drivers are really dependent on their off-the-track success in order to stay driving that we thought, wow, why is nobody addressing this issue? And and I would talk to team owners, and I would ask them, how long do your drivers normally drive for you? And they said, well, it's it's directly related to how long their business can keep footing the bill. And I thought, well, dang, here's a sport that we love, and here's an opportunity, because that's what we do with Purple Monkey Garage. We we fix businesses. So let's let's kind of make a pivot here and keep drivers driving. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense and, and certainly benefits all parties. Uh, let's go in a little bit deeper into what you do with Purple Monkey Garage. I think people hear the, the word garage and they have a certain association. And this is maybe turning the term on its head a little bit and uh, bringing the, the fixing element uh, of your traditional garage to the business realm. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, I've, like I said, I've been in business for a very long time and I noticed that there's a lot of consultancies out there. There's a lot of business coaches out there. And to be honest, without throwing anybody under the bus, most of them are a waste of money. Uh, A lot of these companies 
hire grad students right out of college. They then, you know, data dump on a client for 12 weeks, tell them what they think they should do, even though they've done nothing themselves. And we're a little different. I mean, Purple Monkey Garage was born out of the fact that I've owned a number of businesses myself and helped thousands of other people with theirs. And I was looking around the marketplace, and I'm thinking, man, where can people go to take their business? And if we relate it to a car, if, if you heard a weird noise with your car, you don't take it to an a automotive consultant. You don't take it to an automotive coach. You don't take it to somebody who says, well, you're right. Uh, you know, your, your rotors are gone. What you're going to want to do is tell yourself you're wonderful five times in the mirror every day. And, and then, you know, they, you, you take it someplace where they can actually fix it. And I couldn't find any place where people could actually take their businesses, their teams, their passions, and say, here, I want this to work. It's not working the way it should, or at least not performing as well as I know it can. Fix it. So that's where we came up with the garage title. And then the Purple Monkey part has a, has a long history of itself, too. But it's, it's really one of those names that kind of sticks out in people's heads. And it, it's amazing, you know, I'll run into people years later and they'll be like, hey, you're the purple monkey guy and kind of sticks. But, yeah, we, we wanted garage because we didn't want to be looked at like another consultancy or, or a business coach or anything like that. We actually roll up our sleeves and, and help our clients achieve whatever they're after. So Purple Monkey Garage is the official business mechanics partner of SRO America. What exactly does this partnership mean from the series perspective? What do you bring in addition to uh, your, your background, but, but how does this actually affect uh, the series and, and specifically the teams who I know you're working with uh, pretty closely as well? Yeah, well, SRO realized that their success is the same as team success. You know, this idea that motorsports is going to be this wonderful payday for, for everybody who has a passion for it just isn't, isn't true. And as ratings tell us, even in the big markets, it's not there. So they realize, hey, we have a great sport, but it is 100% dependent on the, the drivers and the team's success outside the track. So we kind of work this, this situation together where we're going to be doing lunch and learns for drivers over the race weekends. We'll be doing assessments for, for businesses that are associated with those drivers, see if we can hone those businesses a little bit. And we, we focus on 52 areas of, of business. When a business comes into us as a normal client, we do a 52-point inspection just like they would on a car. And we can help those, those drivers and those team owners identify areas in their business that they might have missed that they know that they need to improve. So by helping those businesses outside of racing become more financially successful, it makes sure that those drivers and those team owners and those sponsors are more happy when they get to the racetrack. Shifting gears just a little bit, another recent announcement from SRO America was the introduction of the Kavana Cup, which represents a half a million dollars in additional prize money available for the various competitors across uh, both the, the, the GT3, GT4, and touring car classes. Uh, and this, this comes from uh, Kavana Rum, which is another business venture of yours. So what can you tell us first about uh, the rum business and also how this applies now to SRO America? Well, the rum business is a business that we wanted to get in because we view that that segment had a massive void in it. You know, if if you look at the spirits industry, it's growing at a tremendous rate. The 45 and unders tend to like uh, spirit beverage as opposed to beer, which is different than the the prior generation. Uh, 
But there was a massive hole in rum. I mean, tequila, everybody and their brothers in tequila. You have Casa Amigos, you had Avion, you have Patron, just everybody and their brother. Uh, whiskey and scotch, same sort of thing. Gin, the same sort of thing. Even vodka, the same sort of thing. But rum has actually been dominated by pirates, parrots, and coconuts, and the field has just been inundated with really poorly produced cheap product. And out of all the beverages, I mean, vodka, you turn potatoes into sugar. Uh, whiskey, you turn corn into sugar. Everything is turned into sugar. The premium beverage should actually be what starts as sugar, which is rum. So we kind of delved into that space and got a great uh, master distiller on board, and we're making a product that is just blowing people away. And I've been a fan of, of other uh, companies before. I, I loved what Ed Brown did with um, his his sports car racing career and with Patron. Uh, once Patron was purchased by Bacardi, they pulled out of sports car racing, and I thought, well, that's that's a shame. I mean, it was it was wonderful. So I knew with our brand, Kavana, I wanted to do something kind of similar, you know, put this prize out there that actually gives these guys something to chase for. And even though we, we know that nobody's doing it for the money, it, it still puts something out there where they can say, you know what, I'm going after that. So I think the pairing is wonderful. And I think we're we're going to have a long-term partnership in the sports car racing world with Kavana. Well, to close with a couple things, I'd be more curious to learn about you. You mentioned that you've been a fan of the sport for some time. Where did your interest in motorsports and sports car racing specifically begin, and how has that developed over the years? Well, you know, my, my parents are divorced, so one of the things my dad did on his visitation weekends was take us to the races. And I think that's where it started. And I, that's something, not divorce, but <laughs> they go back to the races, is something that really needs to come back. I mean, unfortunately, when I go back to those old stomping grounds, I don't see a lot of parents bringing their kids anymore. And it's, it's kind of sad. But that's, that's where it started. And then it just kind of grew from there. And, you know, you'd, you'd go to a race and say, okay, Dad, you know, can we get a race car? And, it, of course, we couldn't. But I, I kept looking and I kept searching. And then I got – kind of, you know, into uh, this fixation with, with Rallycross. I'm like, oh, this is great. And it, it, it just kind of grew into anything that moves. You know, now I find myself at tractor pulls on weekends or I'm going to the air races. If it has an engine and it's racing something else, I have a tendency to love it. And then when it comes to the sports cars specifically, those are the cars that I drive. So even though all these other sort of vehicles are awesome, you know, it's it, it's the BMWs, it's the Aston Martins, it's the it's the sports cars that are actually the ones that are in my parking lot, that are in my garage. So that's kind of where that passion came from, because even if I'm not driving, there's still this idea, hey, I'm driving the same car they are. And I think, you know, coincidentally, that's where stock car racing has gone completely off the rails, because that, that used to be the car people drove, and it's not. And I, I think all those disappointed stock car fans, if they were to look at sports car racing, really found the home that they're looking for. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir right there, that's for sure. Uh, what memories stand out to you from your youth going to racetracks? Is there anything that you think back and and you can recognize that this is where the, the hook really got set uh, and, and with your appreciation for motorsports? Yeah, it was, yeah, I, I actually can. That's so funny you say that. I remember the, the first time I saw somebody pull off their helmet in the winter circle and they had gray hair. Hmm. And I was just a teenager, and, and you would think, well, wouldn't you be fascinated by the 15-year-old who got his, 
you know, racing license and he's racing before he can drive. And yeah, that was cool. I, that, that was fine and fun. But even back then, I thought to myself, I'm never getting younger. So why am I impressed by what young people do? I'm impressed by what people who refuse to age do. And when he pulled off the helmet and he's, he's, you know, gray hair and they're like, hey, he just celebrated his 69th birthday. I thought, oh, my gosh, here's the sport that I can actually be involved in for decades and decades to come. Baseball, I can't do that. Football, I certainly couldn't do that by 28 year old. So it, it, it just kind of hit home at that moment. This is this is where we can spend some time and invest some energy. Well, speaking of that, to close things out, it sounds like this investment from both Purple Monkey Garage and Kavana Rum, this is something that uh, is here for the long term. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, we definitely we definitely plan to stay in this space for a while. The, the more drivers need us, the more we're here. Awesome. Well, Josh, thank you very much. Where can folks find you on social media and also uh, the, the media that you do as well? Well, they can go to purplemonkeygarage.com. They can go to kavanarum.com, K-A-V-A-N-A, rum.com. And then they can also go to my site, joshtully.com. I host a talk show Monday through Friday over there, and they can find all that information over there and buy books and all that sort of fun stuff. And hopefully I see everybody out at the track. Yeah, we hope so as well. Looking forward to meeting you. Thanks very much for the time and sharing your passion with us. Uh, can't wait to see the impact that both Purple Monkey Garage and Kavana Rum have with SRO America starting here in 2019. Thank you, sir. You be blessed. Hey, this is Colin Brown, and you're listening to Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast. Back on Double Stint, time now for listener questions. We've got a handful that came in for us this week, plus one to follow up on from last week, and that's where I'll begin. Masked Racer wanted to know about a potential Sebring group photo that would include both IMSA and World Endurance Championship cars. We checked with both WEC and IMSA representatives on this topic. Basically, what we've heard right now is there's nothing currently planned The scheduling is going to make things difficult. The fact that the IMSA cars actually load in a day after the WEC cars, that that really load-in day is typically when these things happen, and the fact that they're not happening on the same day, that makes it a bit of a challenge. So it looks like logistically it's going to be too much to ask. I can't say definitively that it will not, but I wouldn't be counting on any kind of group photo with both the WEC and IMSA cars on the grid at the same time, which is really a shame. I think that was a great idea. So uh, too bad, but who knows? Maybe something can be worked out in the intervening time. Next couple of questions came in on Twitter. The first one came from at RM underscore Simmons, who wanted to know any chance of seeing the Callaway Corvette somewhere. They were a super edition for the first couple of races. And uh, he says 2016. It was actually last year that they were on the grid in World Challenge competition, and uh, unfortunately, the answer appears to be no, that that North American arm, at least, of the Callaway Corvette program appears to be at least dormant, if not utterly dead, unfortunately. It just uh, never did quite materialize the way that we all were expecting. It was supposed to be two cars, then it was one, and then after Coda, that one became zero, and we really haven't heard much since. Every once in a while, you'll pick up a couple of rumors that they're asking around, trying to get something going, so I can't say definitively that it's not going to happen, but I would not be counting on seeing the Callaway Corvette in North America, at least, 
anytime soon. I'm assuming that's what you're asking about. I know they've got European programs as well, but as far as the North American appearance for that GT3 spec Corvette, doesn't look like anything is in the works for this season, at least. Thanks for the question, though. Next question came from Marvtastic Race in Being. Uh, who writes, as Black Dog Speed Shop has historically been a Chevy race team, chosen as the team to debut the Camaro GT4R, the switch to McLaren is a shock. Any insight as to why? Better customer support, just a more competitive car. Are possible solutions or answers to that question that Marvtastic Race in Being uh, has produced? I would say this, it is a shock, one, uh, because Tony Gaples has over 200 starts in World Challenge, now SRO America competition, and all of them have been in Chevy products, either the Corvette or Camaros in recent years. And so to see them go away from the GM brand, that is a bit of a surprise. I did get some rumors over the winter that a switch might be in the making. As for the why, I really don't have a good answer for you. I think you have a couple of good guesses there. But frankly, I I don't know. And uh, we're actually planning on speaking to Tony Gaples at some point. Of course, one of the uh, the owner and as well as one of the drivers for the team, the only driver that's been announced so far for Black Dog Speed Shop in the upcoming season. Although I think you'll see a familiar face in the second car once that is finally announced, Uh, at least a familiar face to Black Dog Speed Shop fans. That said, I think uh, we should probably get an answer when I speak to Tony. Again, that's something that we're working on. Hopefully we'll have a chance to chat with him this week and we'll be able to get some more information your way. But it is a bit of a mystery, that's for sure. Strange to see, and it'll take some getting used to saying Black Dog Speed Shop McLaren. But uh, thanks very much for all the questions. If you have a question for our show next week, you can leave them in the comment section or use the hashtag AskDoubleStint on Twitter. Thanks so much for tuning in to the show this week. Really do appreciate it. A rating and a review on iTunes would be very helpful. And also consider checking out our Daily Digest podcast, which is a two to three minute podcast every weekday with all the headlines that you need to know to make sure you stay up to date on the latest sports car racing news from the front page of Sports Car 365. It's also available on your smart speaker devices, so uh, you can look out for ways to, to subscribe that way, too. It's a great addition to your morning routine, if I do say so myself. Nevertheless, thanks for tuning in this week. We'll talk to you next week with our next edition of the Double Stint Podcast.